Hey, Willow. Hey, Gene. <laughs> How you doing? I'm, I want to say today, welcome to another episode of Bookstabber, Willow. Thank you for welcoming me. This is, you're so gracious. Such a gracious host, everyone. Gene Ambaum, creator of Library Comic. Let's give a big round of applause to him. We should say that uh, we have met in person for the third time. Is that correct? Over the long weekend? Yes. That we just had? So over this Labor Day weekend, this is coming out in, I don't know, two months or something. We we, we met up in Seattle. In Seattle. Uh, where you were here uh, for PAX. Mm-hmm. Just kind of kind of hung out we did an, we did a uh, museum crawl and then we did a bookstore crawl which was very fun if any fans of the podcast were at pax west 2023 let us know <laughs> probably not but who knows maybe you have accidentally unknowingly rubbed elbows with willow Payne. very exciting that's true i did step on a lot of people's feet with my big dumb feet <laughs> well you rubbed feet then it was very crowded <laughs> it was very crowded uh, as I know from picking you up, but uh, I only saw the outside. What was that? What was that lady wearing? You, you said she was wearing like some kind of backpack when we drove past the lady. Yeah, there was a cosplayer who uh, had a getup of um, Beetle from Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild slash Tears of the Kingdom. And so I don't I don't know what clothes Beetle actually wears, but it was just this massive beetle shaped backpack, um, and it was made of cloth it was it was very interesting we, we only saw it from a distance it was quite it was quite huge it just I, I keep thinking about it because it was such a commitment to wearing that thing especially in a crowded space <laughs> i don't know what ha- what became of that woman but uh hello if you ever hear this podcast i think i saw some costumes that were a larger commitment but um i would not speak of them in mixed company oh well now now after now you have to tell me after we turn off the but podcast. this is this is not a talking about that's true. cosplay podcast this is a podcast where we read a book and we talk about it whether or not we liked it and the book that we've read for this episode is the magicians by lev grossman suggested by who willow by me because when a month ago when we talked about what book to read next i was emotionally not good, doing great and uh, I needed a little bit of comfort food in my diet. I was like, I don't think I have the energy to read a 500-page sword and sorcery novel Is I'm not going to like, and I also have all these other things going on, so can we please read one that I already like? Now, granted, this is still the year of sword and sorcery, although it is coming to a close soon. <laughs> so you keep saying. <laughs> well, I, I'm bad at math, you know me. Uh uh, I will admit this book is sor- a lot of sorcery, very little uh, sword. It is not really sword and sorcery, but it is fantasy, and I I think that's close enough. For... Very very light on the sword, but 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 there's a sword. There's a sword quite early in the book, and uh, I like that sword. So there may be another, maybe a sword. Yeah, the sequel to this book is actually much more sword and sorcery, but uh, we didn't read that one. We read the first book in the series, so. Well, you have to tell me at the end what the, what the, what the second one is about. So uh, we're going to spoil this book uh, in talking about it. Um, I'm just very excited to read a book that you're excited about, Willow. <laughs> so, and, and one that I had never, I have to confess, had never read up to this point. What, there's three books in the series. The Magicians is the first. There's also a couple mm-hmm. of graphic novels and uh, the TV series that uh, was on Netflix the last time I checked, but I'm not sure if it's still there. Right. Yeah. Probably. I did not know about the graphic novels. I'm going to have to check those out. Yeah, one of them. One of them is uh, Alice's story, uh, which I read, and I have to say, didn't make a lot of sense to me. But maybe, maybe now will make more sense to me uh, if I go back and reread it. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> if you read it out of order, I suppose that'll do it. Do you want to? Do you want to give the uh, pitch for this? The, the quick pitch for this book. 
Sure. Our protagonist, Quentin Coldwater, a shy, nerdy kid who's obsessed with a fantasy series called uh, Fillory. He is going to his Harvard college interview when the interviewer giver has, has seems to have perished uh, just before uh, Quentin would have met him. But instead of having that interview, he goes from a, a cold New York November and walks into a nice summery place where he takes a test for another college, one called Breakbills, which he discovers is actually a school of wizardry. It turns out that Quentin has had magical aptitude and he is accepted into the school where he meets other wizard wizardy friends. They don't really use the word wizard very much at all. Nope. <laughs> but uh, he goes to magic college where he learns all manner of things like how to speak Sanskrit and cast crazy spells and bend your fingers in weird ways. I don't know how much to, to pitch on this one because that doesn't really do its service. I don't know. Well, I, I think, I think, I think that's worth saying. And then like, basically, I mean, the whole book seems to be going somewhere and uh, nowhere at the same time. The somewhere that it's going is towards Fillory, the world of Fillory, which there are hints that it's real, that it may be real, that there may be, mm-hmm. But, but that it's impossible to get to. And then, of course, they potentially find a way to get there. And that's, that's uh, what, Act 3 of the book is, is in Fillory, he and his friends. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Jean's cat, Soup, who you all have just heard meowing. Uh, I, I, I exiled the cats outside of the podcasting area, but uh, <laughs> he seems to have bowling balled his way in somehow past the, past the French door <laughs> that we have out there. Okay, well. Uh, soup is a very good boy i met soup in person over the weekend and you met tokyo too and tokyo is uh just in case you hear it in the background tokyo is a little congested today and he's making a noise that goes something like uh (laughs) as he's cleaning himself it's quite it's quite something if you hear it in the background don't worry there's not a creature here in my house it's just uh it's just my cat who does have a vet appointment coming up so if I had a dime for every podcast I listened to that featured a creature in the background. <laughs> the Magicians. Willow, why do you love this book? Well, I didn't read this book until well after um, finishing the TV show. I'd watched all five seasons of the show. I was I actually watched the show basically... I, I watch very few shows when they're on air, but I watched this one on air from beginning to end. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. Um which is not to say that it's perfect. Uh, it, it does have some TV-isms that I don't quite like. And then at some point during the pandemic, I, I think actually if you meticulously listen to this podcast, you will find the episode where I say, oh, I read all of the Magician's books and I really liked them. So yeah, some point over the pandemic, I, I finally picked up the book and it is... I, I already had familiarity with the with the material from the TV show, but the, the book and the show are... They're they're significantly different in some interesting ways, um, but I think the the essence is still there. Of this is sort of a somewhat dark, cynical look at generic fantasy YA, but not entirely cynical. There is some some really lovely stuff in here, uh, but it is a it is about people who are at their core deeply unhappy and real sort of interesting people and they snipe at each other and they're rude and they and they joke and and you know they have flaws in in interesting ways they feel like real people that you have gone to school with more so than some fantasy books that you probably have read instead of being an ideal cozy magic school this is one where you know everybody 
gets drunk and is an insomniac and, uh, you know, has troubled relationships. Um, but I think I, I love the the fantasy of it. I enjoy sort of the rules of the universe and how magical magic is mysterious, but also you have to it's not it's not easy. It's not simple. All of the characters are, are very brilliant. You know, they have to be masters of mathematics, languages, all of these skills in order to be a spellcaster. Right. Sure. Sure. I just find I just find the characters really fun and the the situations that they get into funny and interesting and dark and it just tickles all the right parts of my brain yeah i feel like i didn't i didn't really i didn't really like anybody i feel like i feel like there's some humor in here that kind of pulled me through and the writing is great uh i really i really like this book on a couple of levels um i think the way it's plotted is fantastic i think the writing just on every level is really fun and it's 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 basically contemporary set in our world and so there are some some references to make it feel like that which is nice there's not it's not overpowering it's not ready player one right it's not it's not that pop culture but there's there's a few things uh but mostly the characters are are funny sometimes but they're just so uh, (laughs) i don't know unmotivated i think part of it is that quentin gets this opportunity and then he just doesn't ever want to go back home again, but he does have to go back home. He, he just, he doesn't like his parents. He doesn't connect with them. His parents don't know where he is. They, they're kind of being fed a lie um, and some, some magic to supplement that lie. Uh, he just leaves everything and everybody behind because it's a chance to become a magician. So yeah, of course you're going to take that. And then he, right. he has these. Well, I think, I think that's such an interesting part of it though, is that th- this is true of the characters is that once you know that magic is real and that you can do it, literally nothing else matters right the the mundane world is is meaning and so it 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 becomes an obsession to them right but that obsession also kind of ruins them well well, it's not just the obsession that ruins them it's the ability to have whatever they want (coughs) like right they don't they don't have any motivation at all to do anything except party and get drunk and well, yeah, I I love that about this book though. Like, I mean, this book is about depression, and and I I think that it's one of the most rich metaphors for that. Hmm. Uh, the the characters their their lives are empty, and they are just trying to find ways to to have meaning in a meaningless world. Right. This is right. The, right. Um, which I <laughs> I realize. You know, while I was listening to it, I was like, hmm, I'm not emotionally good. And at a certain point, I was like, oh, this isn't helpful to my mental well-being right now. <laughs> but um, although there is a certain something about, like, someone else is going through what I'm going through. I can see that. I can see but, that. Yeah, there's this great scene where uh, one of the characters is Alice Quinn, who the extremely smart, capable freshman at Break Bills who becomes Quentin's girlfriend she comes from a family of magicians. Uh, her parents are, are both in the, in the culture, whereas Quentin, you know, is not. Which the, the book doesn't really make a big deal about it, but there's a point where we meet Alice's parents and they describe how her father has turned their house into an ancient Roman villa and has made these magical automatons who are these sort of dwarfs and togas that are serving them. Right, you know, right, pick right. brains and and tripe and th- these you know ancient Roman delicacies. And he does this every uh, couple of years, right? He changes everything in their house every couple of years for right, no apparent he's just reason. Really into archi- 
but it's just this thing of like it's a thing that he can do he he just has to find ways of of filling his time right because he's omnipotent all of these magical people are omnipotent and they don't need money they don't need anything they just right. have to keep themselves from being bored um and so his father or her father has done this but doesn't like anything about it um and and he's like i don't know why i'm doing any of this it's just sort of he doesn't know what else to do with himself well I, well I, and, I, I, I what i really liked is before she takes she kind of takes him home for a holiday or something for a, a break yeah. or a weekend or, or something and she says you have to promise me you're, you're gonna hate my parents as much as i do <laughs> right. i like like that was that, that's an example of the moments that pulled me through this book i'm like oh that's that's really that's really funny like it's really they're really self-aware of of what they're like mm-hmm. and who they are and like like that was that was great but <laughs> it didn't i don't know all i know about alice is she's short and mousy like like very very quiet right um mousy may not be fair but because she's very very strong well i i think we know a lot about alice for as a whole through the book you know well it's true yeah, it's we true. do know yeah. that she she was shy and mousy but also you know when they lived together we learned that uh she was a slob we know that she is an extremely capable magician we we know that she is acerbic but we also know that she has deep passion for quentin and wants what's best for him and is also one of the only people who will sort of tell him the truth we know that she can be vindictive i i think we know an awful lot about alice as a character from this book yeah yeah but but the way the way the so the character development is very i mean it, it's it, it's quite it's done quite well right like i i like it but i just don't like any of the people i didn't particularly like her like she's fine sure like like quentin alice and uh elliot and penny they all have they all have uh a lot of a lot of development like time goes into them mm-hmm. but it's like like penny starts out as a punk he takes the test with quentin and ends up in school with quentin right and alice kind of shows up later uh which we find mm-hmm. out why in the course of the book which adds to the richness of her character a bit um, should probably add that um some trigger warnings uh this is very late in the podcast to have trigger warnings i realize but um there there's some not great uh words used to describe characters or rather there's a lot of um like the the character of penny is described as being autistic but like using that word it, as a as a slur basically but hmm. i would say that uh, and and th- this is not to excuse that but it is from quentin's perspective right this is a third person limited right yep that that we we only see these characters through quentin's eyes and so all everything is inflected by his uh opinion and worldview um but which is often very unkind yes (laughs) exactly exactly he doesn't he doesn't see the best in himself he doesn't see the best in anybody else he kind of repeats things to us that make it clear that he's not really seeing things maybe as they are or as other people see them. And at the center of Quentin's whole being is are these uh, Fillory and Further books, which are kind of like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? But I do find this very, I find this a rewarding book to read because so many books are protagonist or is, uh, if we're if we're having something, if we're looking through somebody's eyes, so often they just have a blank, un, they, they lack a voice, right? They lack a, an opinion about the universe. And Quentin is full of opinions. He's full of, you know, he's a he's a real boy to some extent, right? I feel like I know these people. I feel like I have been some of these people at one time or another. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 
like I said, the writing is the writing is good, and that's an example of why the writing is so good um, because that's true. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, the book actually does have a plot. It you does. Know, th- th- things actually happen. Uh, there is there is change within Quentin and within a few others. Um, well, and something. And not only does this book have a plot. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate this about this book because we we read a lot of stuff that is kind of whatever. We 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 read some junk and we read some YA that is just meant <laughs> to you know. Well, th- that's not to say that YA is junk, but what I like about this book is that it is about something. It is not just there to sell itself. It's not just there to sell merchandise. This book is actually about something. It has a message. It has a theme, right? What is the theme to you? The well, message? I think it's uh, it's 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 the speech that um, Dean Fogg gives when they're graduating. That um, that the thing that all of the magicians have in common is that they're deeply unhappy. Is that that their unhappiness right. is the thing that gives them magical ability. However. It is both the source of their power, but it is also the the hole that they can never fill. Is that they are they, they might be magicians, but they can never actually make themselves happy, right? Like this book is about depression with a with a capital D. Uh-huh. It is it is it is it is a metaphor, but it is not. It, in in some ways, it is also literal. Uh, but it's it's about coping with this thing, and you know, uh, this is this is Quentin's great problem is that he has to figure out how to live with himself and how to live his entire life and he this is why we see alice's parents as a cautionary tale uh alice herself makes this big speech to quentin in the third act about how um you may not be able to make yourself happy but you sure can make yourself miserable sure and that that's all he does with his life is you know he's he, he becomes an alcoholic he and and by the end of the book you know spoilers um Alice functionally dies. She she becomes a, a a monstrous creature known as a Niffin, uh, in a, in an effort to save everybody. Uh, we also see the the primary antagonist of the book, the the Beast slash spoiler, uh, Martin Chatwin, uh, is also this is what happens when you you lose your humanity to magic, right? The, that Quentin and Martin Chatwin, although he's introduced very late in the book. But the idea is that if Quentin had gotten what he wanted, which was to live in his fantasy world and never, never escape it, he would become this awful, horrible being who kills indiscriminately and eats humans and just wants to lord over this magical world. Uh, I, 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 think, any... I, I think I think I think that's incoherently jumping forward a little bit. But 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 I agree with you. There, there is a cautionary tale in here, in a few ways. But like Alice's parents, um, yeah. Quentin and Alice can't decide in some way if if that's what you should do. Find some find some obsession and just make yourself happy. Like are they are they crazy or are they happy or are they both, right? Like that seems to be a question they can't really answer because Alice's parents are at least functional, right? I can't remember what Alice's mom's thing is, but she's she's kind of off a rocker too as far as I remember because of her power. Yeah, she's just kind of detached from everyone and everything. Yeah. I mean, and well, I, I I never know where to start talking about about the books, but like, like I like, uh, well, well everything like well, the, the the plot actually starts like a long time in the past, like when uh, when Quentin is at the house where where he was supposed to be interviewed for the Ivy League school, and the the body is there, the dead body is there, and uh, so soon the sh- the cops and the paramedics all show up, and and Quentin's fine, <clears throat> but the paramedic this paramedic lady in the house says, oh here, there's a couple of envelopes for you and your friend, uh, what's his name, James. 
who was James, Julia, and Quentin were going to interview for uh, for these spots. They're just high school well, friends. Right. And I don't kind of think t- anything was there for James, but uh, but James is is a character who is present. It is true. Well, there was there, there was two envelopes, one, one with each of their names on it, and uh, nothing nothing for Julia. I think. Well, but, no, I think there. Well, I think if it okay, I, this isn't this is not plot important. Well, but it is it is because that paramedic keeps reappearing through the book, right? Well, no, um, that that is, but whether okay, so Julia does actually go test at Breakville's with Quentin. So if something was for was for one of them, it was probably for Julia, because J- James as a character is not plot important. <laughs> Julia is right, but the paramedic, but like in the envelope is also. Uh, is a copy of book six of the Fillory series called The Magicians. Right, Fillory and Further. Which is weird. It's like a handwritten notebook, basically, version of it, like a longhand right. version a of it. A manuscript. A manuscript, mm-hmm. thank you. And and uh, I don't remember exactly what happens to that, but Quentin ends up walking. Oh, he follows a page from it. Um, he's trying to get the page back, and he walks through a hedge, and then he walks into like sunlight and a warm summer day, which it shouldn't be because it's been a dark New York City day. And uh, he finds out he's at break bills. And the first person he meets is Elliot, who's this kind of, I mean, he's, he's smoking outside the school grounds. He's doing things. He's always doing something he, he shouldn't be doing. Um, and Elliot's already in the school and Quentin is there to test. And, it, and it's Quentin and uh, Penny. And he thinks maybe Julia's there. What is there, 50 people in the hall during the exam? And they just, they, like, Quentin has to say okay to the exam first to, to uh, Dean Fogg, who appears throughout the rest of the book. And then they give him basically like the, the magic exam is a sit down exam with an essay booklet, but the exam kind of, it changes as he takes the exam. There's a lot of calculus in it for some reason. And he, he looks up during the exam, which I really like. And some people seem to have just vanished. Like they're not there anymore. Uh, and then after the exam, I think it's just him and Penny and a few others. They're all taken off to be interviewed. And Quentin, that's when we find out Quentin likes magic, like sleight of hand magic. Um, and I love I love the moment where you're not sure what's going on exactly, and Quentin's being tested. And I mean, whatever's going to happen is going to going to be the plot of the book, right? And uh, Quentin is doing sleight of hand magic for this uh, professor who's interviewing him. She says, like, like at one point, she says, "Do that again, do that again," and he does it again. And she says, "Now where's the coin?" He's like, "Well, it's over it's over here," and he looks in his hand and he he can't figure out where the coin is gone, right? And that's our first indication that Quentin can do magic. But I mean, of course he can do magic. We've read the back of the book, right? But but it was great. It was lovely, but it, it becomes kind of clear in that testing that there's other tests they give him. They can't decide if he can actually do magic or if he should actually be admitted to the school. It's kind of a, a crisis at the school, like, like, will he be admitted or not? And so everybody comes into the room and they force him to do magic. And what I think is a great, a great scene. Um, they, they kind of force him, like, like not, not quite at gunpoint, but uh, like kind of a do or die moment. Like he has to actually do some real magic, get on with it. And uh, and he does, and that that's that's the sword. I love I love the sword part. Remember the sword part? Uh, yes, that <laughs> I because you bring it up, I do remember now that there was a sword, although it didn't it didn't stick in my memory. I'll be honest. Oh, I thought I that was such a strong visual for me because he does this magic trick with cards in a card house, like that can only be real magic. And then there's a stack of nickels there in case he's going to do some sleight of hand, and he grabs a stack of nickels like it's a sword hilt and just pulls a sword out of the out of the table. Uh, which I thought was great. He's he's extremely pissed and suddenly extremely powerful, and just kind of just kind of burns himself out in that moment because he's been storing all this magic energy for his entire life. I really like that. And then he's admitted, mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't want to go back home. And I appreciate not going back home because uh, we don't have to deal with the, the Muggles, right? And we never really get even a good description of his parents. 
I think. No. Just of his distaste for being home sometimes when he has to leave the school. We know that we know that his mother is a children's book illustrator and I'm sure that. we were told what his father does. But yeah, they're 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 New Yorkers, they're not particularly interesting. Quentin never really related to them. He's he's in his own world. That's his whole thing, right? Literally and metaphorically. And, and it's nice because it, it reads like a YA book at that point where the parents are just off. They're gone. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're dead. They're not dead. Whatever, right? We can, he can see them. He can't see them. He's got to leave everybody behind, Every all his friends, his family, whatever, for a chance to become a magician. Um, I mean, I think that's what I – one of the things I really enjoy about this is that it, it – obviously it is a take on YA where – Sure. But instead, instead of embarking on a grand adventure, like – it it is you know it's more postmodern than that it's it's not the, just that they embark on a grand adventure it's you know going to school is is a kind of adventure but the more that Quentin does it the less grand it becomes right the more mm-hmm. mun the more mundane uh, and then you know in the third act when they do embark on the grand adventure of going to Fillory that also is fraught with its own peril that you know it it was not the the pleasant fun thing that they were all hoping it would be. Well, I mean, there's there's things in here that I just don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm like, why is that in there? Is it just in there to break up the the tedium of the school? Like, you know, I mean, I, I like the way the school like, works. Like what? What's what's a thing that you're like, confused by? Well, I mean, so Quentin, Alice, and Penny are obviously special, and they're being kind of like skipped grades at certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, and Penny's the the punk kid who tested with Quentin, and Alice just showed up, and and um, Alice. Alice, it's clear from day one, can already do real magic. She does something to a marble where she turns it into a, a molten thing and then uh, a creature. When all Quentin can do is like make it appear and disappear with actual sleight of hand. Um, mm-hmm. And Alice loves the Fillory books, we find out. Um, and then like in the first real interaction she has with Quentin, she tells him that she didn't actually take the like like get invited to take the test. Right. She actually found her way into the school. She... Which you're not supposed to be able to do, right? Past past right. all these spell walls and wards and everything else. She uh, her brother had gone to school there and had died when he was in school there, uh, which is our first hint that this is a little bit dangerous, right? I mean, it, it seems a little dangerous, but this is this is kind of a, a great hint. Um, well, not only it, it's not just that he died; he became a Niffin, which is the which is also the thing that happens to Alice at the end of the book. Why did he become Nefin? Do we do, do we know? Do you remember? I don't remember the specifics of what happened to him. Uh, it, well, it's a thing that happens when you try casting a spell that is so great that the magic just consumes your whole. It's being, too much for right? you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just become a being of pure magical energy, and so that that which is a thing that in in the later books, uh, Quentin eventually saves Alice from her Nefin fate, and it's very interesting and dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, do, I do like the way magic works in this book too. Like it's kind of it's a craft, not an art, not a science. They don't actually know how it works. They just know how to do it. Right. Right. How to get better. Not only do they not know how it works, but uh, the teachers make a point of saying that knowing how it works is is bad. That if you were to spend your life doing trying to figure out the source of magic, that you will go insane and nothing good will come of it. And so just. Right. Just get good at doing it. Don't worry about anything else. I think that's a very good uh, approach. There's a great um, reference to Bertrand Russell and uh, it's Turtles All the Way Down. Turtles All the Way Down, yeah. Right. I appreciate that the like the actual universe that this book takes place in is is it is not particularly kind to people that, you know, mm-hmm. you you can and you can and will destroy yourself in the right. pursuit of magical power. 
Well, I, I like that. I like that Penny doesn't pass the test, but Alice and Quentin do. Um, I, I like that Quentin is kind of slowly unlocking her. I think it says like he's like a safe cracker, and she's you know he's like kind of opening her up little by little. I like that. I like the way their relationship develops for the most part. Um, and then what they bring in that weird board game Welters, which there's a big field-sized board of with different kinds of squares it's it's the uh it's the quidditch of this game right it's the inexplicable magic using board game there's no brooms and i think i think grossman makes a point of saying there's no brooms which is a hilarious quidditch reference to me right Um, well unlike unlike quidditch nobody actually likes welters they they do it just because you know it's a thing to do it is the traditional uh wizard game but it is it's very difficult. It's not particularly fun, <laughs> and uh, right. there's there's a great part where they the the Breakbills team is competing against the other magic schools from Europe and Asia, and they just come in last place every time. They're just they're just awful. Right, they just suck. They just suck unbelievably. <laughs> <laughs> which I which I really enjoy. There's there's a little part at the beginning when when Quentin is being admitted to Breakbills where. Dean Fogg is talking about like you know we're the only North American school, but uh, don't don't let anyone else discourage you. We're we're quite capable at, at what we do. You know we're 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 just as good as the other schools. Well, there's some real nods to uh, to Harry Potter in this and other books like that that came before, right? Um, there are. Well, um, I'll say that I'm so you know I liked Harry Potter when as all millennial children did. Um, probably about the time that I was 16 or so, did I start realizing the, the major flaws in it. Um, but I've always been, I've always enjoyed much more sort of the books that Harry Potter inspired. Um, this, this being one, uh, there's a comic series called the unwritten that I'm a big fan of. Oh, that's great. That's a great series. Yeah. By Mike Carey. Yeah. Those books. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good stuff that, that was trying to, it's not even that it was trying to be Harry Potter, but it was like Harry Potter, but with a twist. And I find almost all of those to be much more my jam. I keep telling you, you have to, you have to read the Naomi Novik books. They're so good. Is this is this one where the dick explodes? I don't remember. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's Sarah Gailey, I think. Gailey? Sure, Gailey. So, uh, and actually, something that I find really interesting about almost all of these books and media that Harry Potter inspired is that, in 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 order to not make it just Harry Potter, they they almost all steal heavily from narnia and this one especially so that fillory right, is basically right. narnia it is not hogwarts like break bills is is not even isn't actually hogwarts but it is inspired by obviously like it's the it's strange it's strangely formal like everybody has a uniform there are classes you have to go to it's really unclear how <laughs> how you advance well, well both of those things are true of most schools <laughs> i guess or many schools rather yeah, most most schools require tests to advance. That, J.K. Rowling didn't invent that idea. Let's not uh, credit her with the invention of education. No, 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 no. It's, it's not that. It's just, it's just a very it's a very kind of British private school kind of thing to me. And it's like even though it's North America, sure. right? I mean, it, it, right. It's, well, it, it's a little odd. Well, I think the 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 cognate that we're meant to make is that break bills is an Ivy League, right? That it's it's very old world thinking. That's true. That's true. There's a lot of money and pomp and circumstance, pun unintended, uh, going on. It's very hard to get into. Right. It's very exclusive. And, you know, every everyone there 
had to, I guess, unlike uh, an Ivy League school, it's you don't get in there by paying into it, but you're there because you're a genius, because you're actually a, a chosen one, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if I want to talk about the fight with Penny. I like the fight with Penny. Well, I, it's if we made a list of all the things in the book you like, I feel like that would be... Um, I, that would, might be the shorter list, right? <laughs> because it sounds well, that, like you didn't care for this book that much. Well, I, I, th- I think Penny's story is so strange because, like Penny, we see we see we don't see Penny again because Penny has not advanced with Alice and Quentin. And then Penny just one day mm-hmm. comes up and punches Quentin because he thinks they did something together to like, that allowed them to pass, but not him. Mm-hmm. Penny doesn't get kicked out of school or anything, but they just don't hang out with him much anymore. Uh, so there's a fight, and then the next time we see Penny is when he comes back to the school. Or no, when he, when he finds Quentin and Alice and everybody else after they've all graduated, right? We really don't see Penny. Right. He's off. He's off frame for like, probably like, a third, maybe a little bit more of the book. Right. We um, we we get a little backstory on him after when we we detach ourselves from the the main cast of characters, the physical kids, if you will. Right, and, and that uh, that comes. Everybody gets everybody like for third year. Everybody gets uh, categorized into what kind of magician they are somehow. Uh, I don't know. Al- if, I don't know if it is the third year, but yeah, it, it is a thing that happens. And so the main cast of characters—they're all under physical magic, which is like hard to get into. Very, very like as opposed to herbalists and right, as opposed to psychic and uh, divination or whatever. And Quentin, Quentin doesn't Quentin doesn't have a categorizable specialty, but they stick in there anyway because it has the fewest people. And right. Although I like by the end of the book, I think somebody, I don't remember who it is, but somebody does diagnose his, his specialty. Do you think? What is his specialty? I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's in this book. And I think maybe Professor Mayakovsky is the one who figures it out, but his is uh, the repair of minor objects. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't remember that. Which, you um, know, the point is that you're not special. It's not interesting. <laughs> it's, it's just a thing. I... I I really like that they have to they have to like figure out how to get into the house where everybody lives together basically the small house. Yeah, uh, that was cool and it really shows how powerful Alice is. Um, it's kind of awesome and that brings them closer to Elliot and all all the other people inside. Josh, Janet, uh, Janet is is kind of the greatest offhanded um, characterization. Like it works. Uh, what does mm-hmm. the, book, the book says? Like she's about as annoying as a person could be and still be your friend. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Janet love is that. great. I, then, I'm a big fan of Josh. I think Josh is uh, is a fun character. He he's largely comedic relief, but there's a like he isn't just comedic relief, right? Like he is a he is a person beyond that. He he is. I mean, like a young Oliver Platt would play Josh in my uh, in in my movie version of this. Um, well, it's funny because there is an actor who does play Josh in the television show, and I would say he does a great job. Oh, okay, I I, I do not remember Josh from the TV show. Um, well, and then this, that's probably because you didn't watch it very long. He doesn't show up. No, I, I watched it for beginning. three. I watched three seasons. I just I hardly remember. Well, then, well, then you definitely saw Josh. You've watched three seasons of it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I gave up somewhere in the middle well, of season three because I just didn't like anybody. Um, he he's the kid in the glasses. He's kind of chubby. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I could. Yeah. I, I I can. Now that you say that, I can picture him in my head. Um, so the th- then the thing, the important thing happens uh, in class one day. They're taking a lecture, and Quentin does a little bit of magic even though they can't do much magic and he makes the podium move and then suddenly there's a man standing behind professor march who they nicknamed death march which i like um this is a guy in a british suit he's got a small leafy branch in front of his face and he's got way too many fingers on his hands which lets him do magic because like you said every, the fingers have to move in weird ways um and this creature they call the beast 
which you referenced earlier, uh, just freezes time for everybody in the room or, or freezes them solid and just kind of walks around and does whatever it wants, including uh, eating one of the students alive who kind of breaks his spell a bit. And it's a freaky moment and it's a scary magic moment. And Fog gives this great speech about how there's other worlds and you'll, you're never going to go there because nobody knows how to go to these other worlds. But the beast is probably just this giant thing. And that was just a small part of it, like the tip of an iceberg going into our right. world. And something brought brought whatever was happening in class to its attention. And it it came in. And Quentin Quentin always thinks that it was him and kind of blames himself a little bit. Upon uh, upon rereading this, uh, we I'll get back to this later, but I do feel like this scene and the and the ending I, I don't know if it's quite a plot hole, but it seems incongruous in a way that it didn't bother me the first time, but it bothers me now. Why, why so? Well, so they make this huge, when when everyone gets out of the classroom, after everyone stops being frozen, we discover that all of the faculty were outside setting up this advanced ward and trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to get in there safely. Um, and so there's just sort of this big deal of like how dangerous this was and how the faculty would have done something, but they couldn't. And, you know, a student dies. But then at the end of the book, we do confront the same creature. And Alice actually, I mean, I suppose Alice does perish in the act of defeating him but she makes a speech about how actually he's kind of a loser yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> like how yep, he's not yep, that yep. hard to fight and so between like i would think that the all of the break bills faculty together would have been able to do something but you know uh, i'll just chalk that up to a wizard did it well i also don't understand why he came back to our world because he clearly doesn't want to ever come back to our world the thing that is the beast right so why would he well, suddenly appear here? But he does have—he does actually have to feed on humans. That is a thing that he does. Mm, I mean, he has a taste for them. I don't know if he has to. Well, that's true. He's—it's—it's it's a nebulous reason. We don't know. I'm, I'm going to give you another thing I loved. Uh, although I know this isn't, isn't going to turn into that. So, uh, so they're having a welters game, and Josh is gone, and Quentin goes to find him in the library. Do you remember the library scene? They're so only looking to the library at break bills, and and uh, this is kind of like a little bit of awkward, awkwardly awkward backstory just inserted in and as an explainer but uh quentin in quentin's point of view he's kind of remembering the story he heard about how some librarian uh, had the great idea that the books would spontaneously reorder themselves mm-hmm. uh in response to different searches and uh it turned out to be this cr- this crap idea for the collection so they've had to retain the books but but they haven't been able to retain them all so there's still some books that are wild and some of them are predatory i love that it was so great uh, and I also, also like that uh, that you can't that you can't use any spells to find anything in the library because generations of students have been doing that for so long that the <laughs> there's too many latent finding spells. That's great, yeah. And yeah. so nothing nothing works in libraries. You have to do it by hand. Yeah, it's it's all card catalogs all the way down, right? It's kind of beautiful. Right. Um, and then that that introduces to Love Lady. Josh is there buying some magical charm or something from this this guy who doesn't can't even really tell what real magic is but but buys charms kind of at garage sales or something like used uh used antique stores or not used antiques like antique stores whatever and he brings them to break bills uh once in a while and sells things and josh is meeting with him um and and he becomes important later in the book and then there's a mystery in the fourth year where half the class disappears overnight and reappears a few months later and that happens once each semester until all the fourth years come back uh, and then it happens to Quentin and the physical kids uh, in the winter, and I, 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 
I really like this part of the book. Um, it has the only moment of joy that's in the book. It's a very odd sex scene. Um, but they end up they end up being turned into geese and flying down to the South Pole together, all the students, where they live oh, in extreme it's not it's not poverty, but there's just there, there's nothing there. White rooms, one desk, a book. They're 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 trying to ingest magic basically at this point. Not not to not to just purely memorize it, but to to kind of learn it in their bodies. And it's boring, and it's an isolated process. And there's this guy, Professor Mayakovsky, who you referred to earlier, um, and he he can do amazing things. And they're all kind of going out of their minds. And then one day he transforms them all into Arctic foxes, and they go outside and play. And uh, then and and then we get to the most awkward part of this or any other book. I love that scene so much. It's so weird. Oh, really? Yeah. I was I was not expecting that. <laughs> well, no, no, because because like like he ends up uh, like they're all out there rolling around and he smells Alice and he just goes crazy because of the whatever hormones are in his uh, little Arctic fox body and and they they, they have sex as foxes and uh, it just makes it super awkward between them. But 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 that is that is the most joyous piece of writing. It just like 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 Grossman is masterful with the way that scene is written to me um, because it's like Quentin is a fox and he's experiencing life as a fox and it's just, he can't contain himself. And, you know, uh, right. well, I think, I think that's actually another interesting thing is that, uh, cause previous to that, when to get to Antarctica, they, they are all turned into geese. Right. Mm-hmm. And when, when they are geese, Quentin is also like happy for the first time that life as a goose is so much more simple. Right. That right. Right. You right. Just, you just eat bugs. You, you fly, you, 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 you catch the trade winds and, and how like pleasant that is. As you keep flying. Yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, and it, so, yes, that animal exi- being turned into an animal uh, seems to be preferable to being a human, or at least it's preferable to being Quentin Coldwater uh, in, in this book. Right. And there's, there's a life or death, death final at this school uh, that's optional, but it's very skipped over that it's optional. And Quentin and Alice take the final but you don't know that they're the only ones to take the final until they show back up at break bills again or quentin shows back up and uh right they have to walk to the actual south pole the you know the magnetic pole right naked uh, and, naked and no right they're given no clothes they are given i think like sheep fat or something as a reagent something yeah uh, and so they have to make spells to to shield themselves from the arctic air and to shield their feet from the snow and uh, provide light and keep themselves awake and it's uh it's very dramatic and it's really quentin, funny. quentin does it and he's just miserable the whole time and mayakovsky is waiting at the at the south pole wraps a blanket about him and then teleports him back to break bills it's a great <laughs> it's a great scene where he where he appears like like near the other physical kids who are all just like still like like and just, <laughs> just just partying just enjoying themselves and and uh they tell him alice is back and uh that they all just skip the test <laughs> Right. Uh, I, who who says somebody says wizard needs food badly when he arrives? Right. That that's Josh. That Josh is the one who usually says stuff like that. It's such a great line, and it yeah. I mean, like I don't know. It's so silly. I also uh, uh, shout out to um, whatever the the guy who reads the the audiobook does such a great job. Oh, good. Uh, he does a great job of all of these characters, and I. That's good to know. I was just thinking. I was just repeating in my head the way that he does Josh and says, "Wizard needs food badly." Like he does it in such a corn, <laughs> cornball way. 
like 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 the Chatwin story, the Chatwins are the kids in the Plever books and the Fillory and Further books. Uh, the story of Plever, it's, it's all woven in here really well. Julia kind of makes a quick appearance. Uh, she's the friend from, of Quentin's from high school who, right. who goes back we home. Discover that, we discover that Julia has some memory of testing at Breakville's and know that she, even even though that wasn't supposed to happen, she knows that Breakville's exists and is desperately trying to get back because, you know, this is the this is the dark path of having not gotten into the magical school. Now she's obsessed with it and it's ruining her life, right? Yep, yep. And, and, and she wants him to help her go back. And I think he tells the dean that, she didn't lose her memory like she was supposed to. And then we, then she's off, off or out of the book for a long time. Um, yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, like, I love the way they end up in Fillory. I love the way Penny comes back uh, with one of the famous buttons from the series, which is talked about a bit that can take them to and from uh, Fillory that took the Chatwins to and from Fillory, but were lost because it was too easy a way. You had to earn your way to Fillory and these weren't, uh, weren't a way to earn your way to Fillory. They were just, they were a cheat. So, so they were, they were taken away from them. Um, I like it a lot. I hate the scene in New York where Alice and Quentin like moved to New York after graduation and hooked back up with Janet and Elliot and Josh, who mm-hmm. are all just living this kind of drugged out, boozed out existence because they can't, they don't want anything and they don't need anything, right? They can do whatever they right. want. Well, they, they've just graduated from college, and, you know, they're all 23, and they don't know what to do with their lives. And so right. they, they've had, this is their first taste of freedom. And so they're gonna go party like crazy. And they're going to, they meet everyone in New York to meet and they, yeah, they, <laughs> none of it is helpful to them, right? That they, they realize that the the world is just sort of this chaotic place there's a great list that quentin makes of all of the things that magical people seem to do that there's a lot of them that stage these massive war games right where they're just magically manipulating massive battles as as a game and there's artists who you know are causing the aurora borealis right that uh, there's just these huge high concept art projects that can only be done through magic and so everyone you know finds a thing to do but it's all very arbitrary to him. Well, I hadn't really thought about this before, but but it basically is Ian M. Banks's the culture series, right? It, it, it's the culture sure. because because it's post scarcity. They can right. do whatever they want, and, and and fog fog when they're graduating asks a really interesting question. He asks if uh, if a person who can cast a spell can ever really grow up, which seems to be right. what the book is asking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Alice seems right. a little more driven to figure out what she should be doing than the rest of them, but it doesn't really matter. Well, kind Qu- of. Quentin she is super she gets depressed. interested in she gets interested in doing some postgraduate research, but she never actually commits to it. Right. 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 Well, she, she loves she, she loves just, Quentin, right? And mm-hmm. maybe that's her fatal flaw. Uh, it kind of keeps her from doing things that would make her happy. But right, um, and so they're just kind of they're just in new york having kind of this chaotic alcoholic kind of you know year-long bender i don't know how much time they actually spend doing it's that. it's really unclear yeah i mean but it's unclear in a way that's really oh yeah that's true that would be totally unclear like who knows right yeah um, they just live in this haze of cigarettes and drugs and and partying that none of them are actually happy about but but, but what i hate about it is that like uh quentin is just totally totally taking alice for granted doesn't seem to care anymore just is going through kind of by the numbers living every day and then he cheats on her with um janet Janet. and elliot has like a three-way uh alice is super alice is super pissed and then the next day 
Penny shows up and says, hey, I've got this magic button that I got. And here's this great story about how I got the magic button. Um, and by right. the way, I've, I've been it studying to Fillory. I've been studying traveling between planes for a long time because I'm, I'm particularly special. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we should go to Fillory. And but even then, even like this is the only thing Quentin has wanted. It's so clear. And he just can't commit to it. And then Alice has to call him a, to tell him that he's an unbelievable pussy and, and takes them <laughs> to the crossroads, which is called what is it called? The never it's uh, I can't remember Netherlands oh, the Netherlands neither yeah yeah because it's neither here nor there right just like all these fountains these fountains that each take you to a different world apparently um, I will say that so w- one of the things that I find really great is I think Love Grossman is really great at writing these sort of Narnia esque bits right mm-hmm. that like it it it's totally believable no, nothing about it see, reads as parody right the our characters are are real human characters you know kind of scoff at it as but it's um right it all feels like a thing that would appear in a narnia book right well i read something that in an early draft this might be in the wikipedia page that that um grossman was actually going to make this like this magical forest in the narnia books like where they went oh. to in, instead of the Netherlands, but that the um, the publishers said that was too close and there would be like an IP problem with that. Probably, yeah. So he, I he, don't invented, know. he invented the Netherlands, which I like. Yeah. Uh, and then they basically decide to go, right? And when they decide to go, somebody says something like, like now like they have a purpose and the past, like everything they went through has, had, has meaning somehow. Um. And they, they they outfit themselves for their quests, and they they invent a magic missile spell, even though they're not supposed to know ma- battle magic. Battle magic is very bad for some reason. Uh, they invent fireball spells too, and then they go and they're trying to they're trying to figure out uh, what's going to happen when they get there. They're just expecting somebody to hand them a quest, and it's very odd. Can, can I tell you my, my favorite funny moment? The thing that made me laugh out loud was when uh, Josh is wondering about uh, a porn magazine, a hypothetical porn magazine for intelligent trees. That would be called Entaus. That was the greatest. I, it was so dumb. Yeah, I don't remember that specific joke. There's a lot of jokes in the book. Uh, Lots of jokes. So, so I, funny. It, it's just a lot of details in general. So funny. And they, so do, I, I, they, I, they do meet a birch ant uh, named Farvel and a talking bear. Oh, I love I love Farvel. I, I have this perfect image in my head of Farvel. It's like a Lane Smith drawing. Farvel's like, a, Farvel's like a smoking, talking tree who apologizes for being rude and running away from them. <laughs> Right, and then yes, the bear Humbledrum, I think, is his name. There's some kind of war going on, and it's it, it's all it's all way too quick that they're on their way to this tomb to get the get the crown and become mm-hmm. uh, kings and queens of Fillory. Uh, right. Yeah, and there's there's fights and violence, and the violence is startling to them. I love the way the violence is startling to the characters in, in this mm-hmm. book because they haven't really had any violence before, and they're not like, oh my god, there's like a, a crazy bunny with swords in it ferret with a big stick coming at us and they're like truly right. alarmed and their guides are well, like their guides are like what the fuck were you doing can't you kill any of these things what's wrong with you uh, right they hire a, a florian wizard and a and a fighter uh dint and fen fen is the yeah. martial artist yeah yeah but she's kind of she's kind of a she's kind of a uh, martial artist with magic she's kind of awesome um but yeah it, it's all it's all just insane and there's ember ember and umbar are the sheep are they sheep that that uh, they're rams it's a white ram and a black ram or brothers who are the the mass the gods of fillery although many of the creatures here uh do not 
uh, actually care for them. But through through the the books, the Fillory books, we know that these are these are the gods, and these are these this is this is basically Aslan from Narnia, right? Right, right, who, right. Who, and they shepherd the children to and fro Fillory, and then give them quests. I mean, there's so there's so much to like about this section, and it's so it's so just mm-hmm. like. It's so just a very smart take on um, the rote fantasy dungeon crawl. <laughs> like it just sure, it's really fun, uh, and it ends with Alice being kind of sacrificing herself. Well, and, and I love that when when we get to like the final level of this dungeon, and there is Ember, and he's he he's there, and he's like, you know, I I love the way that he's written. And I love that the the characters all of a sudden now that they can talk to this you know larger than life Aslan character all of a sudden they they just like wait a minute nothing about this place makes any sense right right and and they start talking to him and and Ember is just, is just like I'm sorry that this world is not a, a theme park for your amusement <laughs> that's true but, See, I'm, but I'm laughing just, much more remembering this book okay all right but but then but you know we but we realize that there's something sinister going on that um it doesn't they're they're realizing all the gaps in the story and that this is this is some kind of a trap that that right. Ember's been put up to something and this is where the beast walks in the beast walk uh, was, well, 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 well it, I think uh, Quentin summons the beast kind of accidentally not knowing what he's doing right no, no, th- no! This whole place is a trap set by the beast. Well, with the horn, the horn is the thing that summons the beast, right? Well, uh, perhaps I don't remember. And, uh, and then, so Alice, Alice is gone. There's a revolver in this dungeon quest as well. Somebody <laughs> right, pulls, Janet a pulls out just a gun. They all have these. Uh, they all have these demons that the the dean put in them on graduation night. Uh, so to protect them in a situation exactly like this, so they all release these demons from their backs that go around and you know murder these uh, satyrs and <laughs> talking right. animals and whatnot. Right. Um, and and then the and then at the end of the book, oh oh, and and uh, bad stuff happens to Penny, and I mean everybody's messed up, but Quentin's super messed up, and then Quentin wakes up. Uh, he's been six, been asleep six months in like a centaur hospital somewhere. Right in Fillory. I, 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 this, I don't know why, but this part really stuck out to me reading this for the second time is um, Quentin wakes up in this hospital and the first thing he notices are the curtains in the room and how they're the coarse linen curtain, but not the kind of coarse linen curtain that you would buy in a store in America that is factory made and just looks coarse, but right. actually isn't. No, this is an authentically coarse linen curtain that... By, because the people here don't know any other way to make curtains and right. how this this sign of authenticity just like brings him pleasure on some fundamental level it's weird and i don't i don't know why but that just really got me as funny it, it, it's a very strange detail uh and and oh yeah, so, so, so the evil lady the evil lady in fillory is called the watch watcher woman and there's all these mm-hmm. ticking clocks embedded in trees and stuff and they can hear a ticking at one point when they're running through the woods and they think she's after them. Um, Quentin wakes up. I can't remember if he just has the the book there with him, the the book six, the magicians of the Fillory and Further he, series. He, he finds it in a desk. They... And he reads it. And then uh, the paramedic lady reappears, as she has a few times throughout. And he realizes who she is. She's uh, right. Jane Chatwin, one Chatlin. of the Chatwin kids. And, and her brother Martin was the one who had disappeared and stayed in Fillory. He wasn't supposed to. And he was the beast. Um and we find out that this has all been a time travel adventure story uh, in a very right. strange way. They, and this is this is the best way it's ever worked out with, with the the Beast Martin uh, destroyed. Uh, right. And so this even though it's... the only time, yeah. 
even though it's imperfect for Quentin, he is just a character in this story somehow and uh, that she's been arranging and rearranging and whatever. Um, yeah, it's very odd. It's very odd. And then Quentin goes on a quest to hunt. Uh, oh, he hunts the questing beast, right? Mm-hmm. And and the ship is called the Skywalker. And he's just like, oh, Jesus Christ, it can't be called the Skywalker. <laughs> Come on. But he takes he takes a group out and you're supposed to get a some wishes if you hunt the questing beast and he hunts the questing beast and he's like okay give you, here's your wishes and he, he wishes for uh alice to be alive and the beast goes nope <laughs> he wishes for penny's that. penny's hands to be okay and the thing's like nope <laughs> he finally well, he's he just, like that he's like that that guy is on a different plane of existence right now i can't i can't affect not, that not here uh so he has to get some a couple of mund- mundane wishes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very strange. And then he goes back to Earth and he becomes like a banker, basically in this he, or so, something. Breakville's break. Yeah, getting back to Earth, he he's at Breakville sets him up with a basically an investment banker job where he doesn't actually do anything. He's just on payroll and he gets to sit in the office and play video games all day. And he's kind of really sworn cares. off. He's sworn off magic. Oh, at this point, his hair has gone completely white. Uh, Andy, Andy his... Warhol wig. Yep, yep, yep. Right. Uh, so he, yeah, he's back in his his own depressive state. Um, but he does meet another magician who, that Breakbills set up at the same firm uh, named Emily Greenstreet, who we know from earlier uh, was a girl who was involved in a whole fiasco that ended up with Alice's brother getting turned into a niffin. Right. And she was the only person who had dropped out for 150 years until Penny apparently dropped out as well in his third year right um yeah it, it, it's interesting and you think maybe something's gonna happen with them but it doesn't and then at the end uh quentin seems to re-embrace magic again in a very strange scene <laughs> that i guess leads into book two uh it feels like it feels like elliot and janet and uh someone else quite unexpected arrived to julia sp- she's here Spirit Quentin away the, the hedge witch the hedge witch seems I love to the I love that scene where they just show up flying with you know glowing wings and like superheroes yeah they just appear out of they they like destroy a part of Quentin's office building I think or yeah yeah the windows they just destroy the window <laughs> yeah it's I don't know how else it, it is an okay scene it's very superhero-y well, right, but that's the that's the idea. Is I mean, we're we're going between the mundane and the and the extreme, right? This I mean, it's the, it's, uh, it's the Terminator. Come with us if you want to live. Scene, right? Well, no, I mean, Quentin can refuse them, but they're just like, come on, why do you want to? Why do you want to be in the normal, boring world? Like, come come back and be a king and queen of Fillory with us. Yeah, but it's not like he even smiles at the end. He's like, eh, okay. Right? sure that's be- right but why would he it, he's still unhappy yeah i don't know i mean like 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 thinking about this book it has so much it has so much that i really enjoyed but i don't try, mm-hmm. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of what keeps it from being one of my favorite books and i think it's just that i don't like anybody and i don't tend to think of myself as a as a reader of characters per se i really like worlds more and this doesn't this doesn't offer me a lot in terms of the world um, I like, I mean, I like settings a lot, uh, and this doesn't offer me a lot in terms of settings. I do like uh, reading for tone, and I think the point of view is done exceedingly well here. But because I don't like him very much, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't do much for me. So I, I think, I think those are the things I, I take away from this. Well, dear listener, uh, if you have gotten this far in the podcast and you've not read <laughs> it, uh, 
I hope I hope the spoiling didn't deter you, or I or maybe it did. Maybe, maybe actually the correct amount of spoiling has deterred you from reading this, and that's fine too. Uh, regardless, I hope you got something out of us going through the Magicians by Lev Grossman. Me too. I'm I'm glad I finally read this book. No, I mean it was a book like I, I think I told you that I hadn't read because everybody else had read it. Everybody around me who yeah. likes fantasy had read it and really enjoyed it, and I just thought, well, I don't need to read it then. Like, um, but I'm glad I, I'm glad I finally did. So thank you for suggesting it. Sure, it was it was good to reread it. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, reminded me a lot of things that I enjoyed about it. What are we gonna read for our next episode of the well, podcast? Well, I, I, I want to ask you first before before we get to that. Do you think I should read the second book? Is, is it your opinion based on how I feel about this book that I should read the second book? Well, I like the, I like them all. Um, I have a hard time ascertaining whether you would like it. I think so. The second book, and I think our listeners will probably enjoy knowing this, is a much more normal adventure. So there, there is sort of a normal adventure that is a fantasy adventure. It pretty much all takes place in Fillory, except for we get a lot of backstory on Julia and what she was doing the entire time Quentin was at Breakbills. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I, I will say that the Julia story is good, but extremely dark. Um, there's there's some big trigger warning stuff in there that uh, if you're not if you're not down with that, I wouldn't recommend the second book at all. There's a sexual assault and violence, um, <clears throat> but if that does not uh, dissuade you, then I think the second book is is very rewarding. It is mm. it is a much more straightforward novel than this one. At least that's my memory of it. It's been a couple of years. I mean, that's interesting because I remember from the TV show that Julia's story is told kind of in parallel with Quentin's story. And so all that happens, you kind of see what's going on all the time. So I, I did wonder that in this, like, like, did they just do that for the TV show? It's like, it's like right. such a bit of darkness, but. Yeah. Being that you're familiar with the TV show in that regard, uh, you basically already know what happens in Julia's story. So uh, <laughs> that's that. So, you you know. Um, but they're, I mean, it's not, it's not exactly the same. Like the ending is very different of the second book. I mean, it doesn't end well for Quentin, but it is more of sort of a fairy tale ending, I suppose. Okay. All right. Well, that answers my question. Maybe I'll read that soon. Uh, the next book we're going to read is Elder Race by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Uh, it's a novella and it's arguably science fiction, but I'm going to say it's sword and sorcery for our purposes. Okay. It has both swords Perhaps and sorcery. Another installment of the year in sword and sorcery. Look out, folks. It's going to be great. All right. Talk to you soon, Willow. Hot. Uh, go ahead and read Library Comic and whatever you, whatever you want. I don't and, know. And the, the Haunted Skull People. Archive at hauntedskull.com. <laughs> yes. Yeah, never to be updated again. We'll. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Later. Oh, and also, uh, if you have a book you'd like us to read, you should write in it bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com <laughs> under the wire you got to under the wire actual ending the, the podcast is over good night good night, good night. meow